welcome to the very first episode of B2B Marketers on a Mission. I'm your host, Christian Klepp, and one of the founders of Einblick Consulting. Before we begin, I'd like to start by explaining why our company decided to start this in the first place. We basically wanted to create a platform in which to serve B2B marketers and digital entrepreneurs and provide them with an opportunity to listen to quality content that will motivate them to succeed and strategically pivot their businesses. So what can you expect to hear when you listen to each episode? Well, you'll be tuning into interviews and conversations that run for about 30 to 45 minutes with B2B marketers, digital entrepreneurs, as well as industry experts who will share their successes, challenges, achievements, insights, and key lessons about what it takes to succeed. I'll also be including my own two cents worth that will encourage you to think differently and take action. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the very first episode of B2B Marketers on a Mission. I'm your host, Christian Klepp, and today I'm excited to have Alan Key joining us. Alan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Delighted to be with you. Great. Well, why don't we get started? Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do? I am a fully recovered advertising guy. I've had about 20-something years to do that, and uh, in the last let's say 20 plus years, being an independent doing uh, change management, uh, although I prefer to call it change facilitation, and uh, for a very wide range of organizations, um, banks to children's aid, as I sometimes boast, in a number of countries, in North America and Europe, and um, yeah, a stellar list of clients. Excellent. Well, in your opinion, what what do you think is the most or was uh, perhaps the most memorable work experience uh, that has had a significant influence in your career? Um, well, I had a lot of skills from my advertising days and client service. Uh, when I did the cold turkey departure from the industry, entirely my choice. People wondered why the hell I was leaving. Um, uh, I didn't have a particularly clear picture of what I was going to do. Uh, so I just engaged in some projects and that worked out fine. Um, however, uh, when I was working with a colleague, uh, we were helping an organization uh, with some change. Um, he introduced me to Solution Focus, uh, the model I use now. And um, I have to say that was a truly pivotal moment you, you, you have a lot of skills when you go out as an independent uh, and you, you find some clients. In this case, uh, I found that we were doing good work, uh, but between the two of us, we realized we need to be more than a couple of ex-ad guys doing uh, change, and we needed a new approach. So um, solution focus, uh, it's a family therapy model. Um, we didn't take that part too seriously. But, but we took the content very seriously and we went out and started using it on client projects. Uh, we didn't mention it, incidentally. Um, what you do in Solution Focus is you just ask better questions. Now, the, the thing about Solution Focus is there are many management models now, Agile, etc. And so Solutions is just, Focus is just one of them. That's definitely an interesting uh, topic, and uh, we'll definitely circle back to uh, the solution focus bit in a second. 
What did you think was uh, so important or how important rather uh, did you think it was to have mentors around you throughout your career? Uh, I was very clear in those days. Um, I had built up a, a really good network. You do in advertising. In fact, that colleague I worked with, uh, he'd come back from Japan and he said, I need your Rolodex. So we worked together on my Rolodex. Um, quite a lot of those contacts uh, started to become mentors, um, eh, informally, of course. Uh, it was extremely important. I like to view mentors as part of your network and also to offer mentoring to some of your network uh, in order that they um, take advantage of the knowledge you've got. But back to networking and mentors, uh, it's just fundamental. You've got to build that group up, uh, whether they're followers or not, their awareness of you, and then, again, getting advice uh, from, from some of them as mentors. And, and I've since participated in a few mentoring programs, et cetera, et cetera. Phenomenally important. That's uh that's really interesting, and you've you've certainly had some amazing experiences, no doubt, throughout your career. Um, you know, going through each and every project and the people that you've worked with. Uh, the whole bit about mentorship, um, in fact, also struck a chord with me because you know I was also quite fortunate to have a couple of mentors as I was starting out in the industry. You know, with some uh, some ad industry veterans, uh, so to speak. Yeah, the the thing I would add in is it's an old fashioned phrase. Uh, you need shoe leather. Um, you need to get out, go and meet these people, have coffees with them, and so on. It's a little easier today with technology. Uh, witness this this particular interview, but um, uh, you do need to make it easy for people to find you and for them to want to talk to you. Absolutely, it's all about relationship building, the establishing of the relationship, yep. the nurturing of it. Now, why don't we circle back to solution focus? And you have touched on it a bit. Um, you know, since this is clearly a term that perhaps some of our listeners are not entirely familiar with, uh, why don't you walk us through it a, a little bit more and explain why you believe uh, solution focus is so powerful and why it's so in important, uh, in fact, to focus on opportunities as opposed to obsessing with uh, problems that exist within an organization? Yeah. I said earlier that we went out to meet clients using what we just learned about solution focus. And what we learned was uh, you're not the expert, the client is. That's a pretty radical thought. Uh, how do you find out what the client's expertise is? Um, uh, by asking questions and uh, better questions. And the structure or the framework of those questions is helping them moving away from obsessing about problems uh, to uh, finding out what resources they've already got to uh, deal with those problems um, and getting them to build up, if you like, a platform of what's already working and then start asking questions. Instead of saying, uh, how do we stop the problem? We say, supposing the problem goes away, what would we be doing instead? Oh, okay. What would we be doing in marketing instead? What would we be doing in production, etc.? And then you can start even saying, supposing the problem has gone away, what would our customers be doing? 
oh, how would that be useful to them? So you're building this picture of where you want to get to. And of course, uh, you can use it in many different ways. Um, I've used that kind of questioning in strategic planning, um, uh, but also in many situations where, as, as we like to say in solution focus, it's not that the client's got too many problems, it's just that they're stuck. And so you can use that line of questioning in many different areas, uh, angry unions in a factory, um, I, I could name many of them. And I like to call them applications um, for the different types of situations you go into. But the framework is pretty straightforward. What's working uh, that we want to keep doing? Uh, uh, sometimes we have a little bit of a therapeutic moan about the problem, but then straight on to supposing it went away, what would that look like? How would it look for people? Now, the next part is really important because you're getting people to think innovatively, creatively, purposefully, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, it's useful to them to get them to think about what they're going to do next, uh, i.e. not next month, but in the next few days just to get them to live the experience they're moving towards. And, um, uh, well, I can see clients kept asking me back. So, Well, that, that's incredibly interesting. So I think, um, would it be fair to say that, um, you know, you're trying to get people to have more uh, uh, purposeful conversations and trying to look at things from a, uh, a more... A constructive perspective, uh, you know, for the long term, as opposed to like going on this perpetual uh, troubleshooting cycle. Would it be fair to say that? That would be very fair. Um, I think the, uh, I mean, for example, I used to, when a client said we must use the SWOT model, I'd say, okay, strengths, weaknesses, threats, etc. And I would um, say to them, let's, uh, often you look at the SWOT and it's leaning to one side. Why? Because uh, the threats and weaknesses outweigh the opportunities and strengths. And so uh, I used to say to them, let's ignore the, the threats and weaknesses. We're not going to diminish them in any way, but let's go to what the opportunities are, etc., and discuss what that would look like. Later on, you can come back and say, uh, oh, by the way, we, we, we've, not, we've not looked at the threats and weaknesses. And the client would say, uh, no, we don't need to. <laughs> so, <laughs> You know, um, it's reframing the narratives um, the, that they create around the problem into a narrative about where they want to get to and get them to take action. Right. So, you know, with that, that being said, you know, looking back at some of the projects and the clients that you've worked with, um, how do you think uh, you've impacted or influenced uh, you know, the client's organizations, uh, you know, by using the solution focus method? Um, I think I've impacted them uh, by helping them see what they already know in order that they can start moving forward. You know, use the, you use the word purposeful. I'm not a big fan of um, a, a, um, optimism, et cetera, et cetera, purposeful. Uh, and they notice that it makes a huge difference. Incidentally, one of the best, most fun I have is when we go back and we say to them um, afterwards, after the work, so what's different and better? And you get all this stuff coming out. Um, 
that's when you realize how impactful it is. Um, because in an, a more conscious way, they're moving forward. Before they were doing stuff unconsciously. And so um, I think that's the impact or the influence you have on the company. Um, and, and one last point about solution focus. You know, the client who says we need a, a one-day session on X, uh, I say, well, we'll need a, an informal period at the beginning where we before the session where we interview people about what, what it is we're going to do. And you'll never guess what the questions are. What's working? What do we want to be different? What would that look like? Blah, blah, blah. So that on the day, they're already aligned with that thinking. And then you're, you're able to say to them, so let's get back together in a month or two to observe what changes we've made. Um, uh, of course, I've got lots of thank you letters from clients. Um, but I think it's the fact that you as an observer and a contributor can witness them making the change their way. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, just going back to one of the things that you, you said, um, which also re resonated with me, Alan, was um, you said something to the effect of a uh, solution focus is in fact about reframing the narrative and yep. asking better questions. Yep. That being said, it also calls for organizations to engage in otherwise uh, difficult conversations. So yep. how do you deal with that? And how, how do you help, you know, when you're working with clients, how do you help give them that nudge out the door? Because so, sometimes it's just unavoidable. You just need to have those difficult conversations in order to make sure. purposeful progress. Right. right. Uh, for, uh, oh, the stories I could tell you, uh, <laughs> the f philosophical point of view in solution focus is when you get a lot of resistance, slow down to speed things up. And particularly when you walk into a situation where you've got various factions in the organization, guess what? Quite often unions and management <laughs> are in different factions. Um, so uh, it's okay to let them, as I always call it, have a therapeutic moan and uh, to have a firm conversation with them about how do you see that kind of, you know, whatever the narrative is at that time, how do you see that being useful to you? And they don't really often give you a good answer. So you say, suppose we did, and you you kind of slide in a solution-focused question to help them. You've acknowledged the problem that they have in their heads within each faction. You've let them do it in front of each other. But then you quickly start seeing supposing that went away do they respond to that right way no but as the conversation goes on uh, and they start to notice as i gave you that example before uh, where you uh, you go back to them and cheekily say hey we haven't finished talking about the problems <laughs> and they look at you and they go no, no no they've gone away so yes you have to be tough with them at the beginning but tough in helping them move forward that's a that's definitely an incredible insight, and obviously, you know, you're trying to help, uh, as you said, like facilitate a, a kind of change, and that that obviously is a process that needs to be done progressively. Yep. Explain how you you know if once you have that solution focused mindset, how does that become helpful, or rather, to put it in your own words, how is that useful uh, when it comes to better first impressions? 
Right. In business, and I think this is a key one for uh, the B2B world, mm. um, I, I sold a piece from a guy called Rajesh Seti, a California VC, mm. and he said, look, I've got to go to meetings and meet a lot of people and follow up with them to see if they're going to either lend some money or borrow some money. And uh, so I'm the in-between. I better uh, get moving. I go in a room with 100 people. Um, I want to have a quick conversation with as many as possible. What I want to do is ask them some questions that gets them, of course, having a better impression of me, uh, but particularly that they think I'm listening to them. Uh, because, of course, quite a lot of people go into the room on a sales-minded basis to quickly find out if they can get their phone number and card uh, to phone them back. What he said is, um, and I did a variation of his thinking using more solution focus, you start off with uh, what pleases you in your work or a question of that nature. It's purposeful. Uh, what pleases you in your work? They might look at you uh, in a slightly strange way, but they, because they haven't been asked that question for a long time. Um, and so you hear a few things and you say, wow, what else? <laughs> uh, and and then you can go on to, you mentioned X. Uh, how do you see that working out, et cetera, et cetera? The purpose there is you're not talking. They are. You get to know what they're doing. And if it's a good conversation, they're going to tell you. My own view is if they're reluctant to tell you that stuff, they're not a prospect. Um, so by opening them up, uh, by showing that you're a very good listener, uh, they start listening to you. And I think that's uh, where we can leverage first impressions. Hey, it's Christian Klepp here. We'll get back to the episode in a second. But first, is your brand struggling to cut through the noise? Are you trying to find more effective ways to reach your target audience and boost sales? Are you trying to pivot your business? If so, book a call with Einblick Consulting. Our experienced consultants will work with you to help your B2B business to succeed and scale. Go to www.einblick.co for more information. That's really that's really interesting, and um, especially the part where you, you, you know, you engage in conversation with these people at events or potential prospects, and you. You ask them about themselves. So, in fact, you're basically uh, making the conversation about them yeah. and, uh, you know, displaying, uh, you know, displaying that you're, in fact, a good listener. And, uh, you know, obviously it it's a, it's a different approach to, um, you know, the door to door salesman tactic. And I think we at least have one of them in our circle of friends, you know, the person, the person that just does that whole pitch, that whole spiel about yeah. why their product and service is is so great and what what the features are and the benefits and why you have to buy that and that's you know that's clearly that's clearly an approach that people are no longer that receptive to anymore no nope. so alan i mean you know over the past couple of minutes you've been telling us a little bit about yourself and you know you've you've clearly been running a very successful uh consulting business here in canada for the past 20 years and you've you know worked and collaborated together with clients and across different organizations so what were some of the major challenges that you had? And, um, you know, can you tell us a little bit about those and uh, how you managed to overcome them? Yep. Um, I think in the early days, it was even knowing you had a good network 
making the network work even better for you and getting out there. Um, maybe it's my character. Uh, and my, the, the colleague I worked with a lot in those early days was a bit like me. We, we like to just go out and meet people. Um, however, you know, those in those days, a lot of people didn't understand networking, particularly corporate, corporate types. Um, and uh, they all do now. But back then, knocking on the door wasn't so easy. Um, we were patient. What happened was we built up success stories quite early on with some pretty senior people in large organizations. Uh, and we started asking them, is there anybody you know? <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. So it was kind of cheeky of us to do that. But they were instantly, because they had gotten the results they were wanting, said, yes, you should speak to Mary, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and we were even cheekier and said, um, any chance you could introduce us to Mary via an email? Instead of us phoning and Mary says, who are you? Um, and that worked. So, But it took a lot of work. Uh, and um, nobody knew about solution focus. So we never used that as our pitch. <laughs> Eventually, some clients said, any chance you could train our people in it? Um, and we did. Uh, but we had to knock on many doors in a more productive way uh, to get the breakthroughs. And I started, for example, going to Europe a lot, where there was a bit more use of solution focus in organizations than we'd seen in North America. Um, that took a lot of work, going to Europe, going to conferences, meeting people. Not many people there introduced us to, to clients, uh, save for one guy who said, I'm going to work with you. And he did. He called a few months later and flew me over to the uh, UK uh, to work in one sector. And then gradually some calls came from Europe. All that took shoe leather, just shoe leather getting on an aeroplane hmm. to find these people, let them know you exist. That's um, that's really interesting. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's also incredibly relevant uh, even in the world of you know especially in the world of b2b marketing yeah uh, you know leveraging not just leveraging your network uh, but putting yourself out there and you know e even these days where it tends to be more in the uh in in the dig across the digital landscape on on platforms such as linkedin for instance right you know um it's not necessarily just putting yourself out there but also putting out like content that's relevant insightful and interesting to that specific target group absolutely um, and you know targeting decision makers who will at some point also have a chat with their colleagues in the industry to say you know because it's it's also partly word of mouth yep. um partly referrals and also uh, another important thing is um, thought leadership across yep. certain segments yeah Right. I, I, I could reframe what I said earlier on about mm -hmm. shoe leather. Yeah. Uh, uh, today you do you use digital shoe leather and you provide content for people to let them see if they have an interest in you. Um, and there's so much more opportunity in doing it that way. The second one is um, Sometimes there's clients you come up against who sound interesting and they're interested in you, et cetera, et cetera. But you find out quite quickly that you're in a different space uh, from them. And personally, 
this is even cheekier, uh, I used to say to some of them, I don't know if I'm the right person for you. Instead of, you know, hounding them with a big sales pitch, I don't know if I'm the right person for you. And I'd actually close my folder or something like that. The good ones said, no, 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 hang on. We want to talk to you. The bad ones said, oh, and it was a productivity issue. We could have spent a lot of time developing relationships with clients who were never going to buy anything from us. So by being forthright about the relationship, and and, and here's one last one, when, as you're closing the folder, don't know if I can help you, I have several colleagues who could, and they say, who's that? So I give them the names. And the good colleagues who got the work <laughs> would send you a check to thank you. <laughs> Uh, that's fantastic. I, I I love that story. I think um, note to self, um, use that next time. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, we're going to touch on a topic which um, I guess, you know, given the current state of global affairs is, uh, you know, something that we, we have to talk about. But um, I I don't want to get into the um, the uh, the negative aspect of it. Um, you know, yep. it's it's very it's very clear that we're going. You know, the entire world is going through some challenging times at the moment, and everything is uh, far from what you could call business as usual. Yeah. Uh, without without downplaying uh, the gravity of you know what we can consider an unprecedented situation, um, I think it's also important for us to try to look um, to look forward because, yeah. believe it or not, at some point, this too shall pass. We will get back to a to some kind of a certain degree of normal. Um, we we will get back to where business is going to, you know, thrive again. And with that being said, you know, with all the things that we've been discussing uh, during this conversation, if we were to put on our uh, solution focus hat and look at this from a solution focus mindset, what would you say are some of the uh, the areas, or the, uh, I guess I would, uh, I would say, the potential that this crisis presents, and how um, should B two B marketers and entrepreneurs um, leverage on that or use that to improve or pivot their businesses? Yeah, I, I think first of all, I think a lot of organizations are already doing this. Mm-hmm. I certainly see that sense from many of the webinars I go on. Mm-hmm. Um, they are uh, agonizing about the current pain and, of course, the human cost of it. Uh, but asking themselves in the short term, what can we do to move forward? And you see on television, you see commercials from organizations that are probably hurting like hell, but they're talking about their customers, et cetera, et cetera. They're they're even promoting the fact that we've learned a lot about you, et cetera. Mm. So that's in the short term. Uh, Ask yourself, you don't ignore ignore the problems. They're they're real. Cash flow, <laughs> for example, having to let people go. Um, but what you do do is, first of all, what have we got that's working just now that we can start to leverage in the future? And then you say, say to yourself, what have we noticed about what's changing, and what will be different in in the uh, in the new normal, whenever that is. And we can, you know, I think we can indulge in a little bit of pessimism about how quickly that will change, um, but it will change and things will get better. So you ask yourself, what would that look like? 
And of course, you can lay out a bunch of scenarios uh, and start thinking that way. I believe, and I've done this with one client recently, uh, where we laid out some scenarios for the future. I said, what does that tell us about what we need to stop doing now? Um, because that's part of the issue in all planning for change, is stopping stuff that's not no longer working. It might, have, might not have been working six months ago or six years ago. Um, so let's use this the opportunity to shift our, our culture, our emphasis uh, on the customer, uh, our internal customers, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, how can we plan for something better happen? Now, if you're an airline, that's a hard thing to answer. <laughs> and yet, uh, I see some airlines doing that, talking to customers. Um, it, it's, I think it's good for small, medium businesses to think this way. Again, I've, I do have a client. They are a not-for-profit, but they've already started it. Um, and sadly, at the moment, their staff are uh, on furlough, a polite word, um, but the staff are keen to uh, and are looking forward to when um, things get better, and they've been actively working on that. That's great. So in your professional opinion, and, and you've um, you've mentioned a little bit of it, um, what would you say is the new normal, the new reality that we are, uh, you know, that we're going to come back to or, and um, the one that we should be preparing for? Yeah. A new normal has been happening since the dawn of time for humans. And um, it got us through many crises to come out on the other side doing new things. At the same time, uh, you don't need an enormous amount of change to create new normal. Uh, look at the technology business. Uh, they, they weren't created out of crisis. They were created out of uh, ingenuity and uh, a whole bunch of things to bring in the new normal. Um, so the new normal keeps moving forward. Uh, it's a bit of an overworked phrase, but I still think it's 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 a good one. Um, I think the answer to what we should be preparing for is was in the last question. Um, what is going to be different? How would we handle that? Mm, well, we've already been doing that a while ago. Uh, we just weren't paying a lot of attention to it. Ah, okay, so we could use that as part of our new platform, etc. There's so many things you can do, particularly, I believe, around the customer. Uh, how, how will we be shaping our relationships with the customers in the future? Whether or not you've got 2 million of them across Canada or 25 of them in a B2B type environment, uh, what will we be doing differently and better for those customers the way they want it to be? That's incredibly interesting. So if I'm, if I'm understanding uh, what you've been saying these past couple of minutes correctly, um, the world was already going into a recession before this pandemic started. It just seemed to have been accelerated yep. um, by the current state of events. But on a more positive or rather purposeful note, um, the push towards uh, such aspects as uh, the rapid advancement of digitalization across different industries and yep. close collaboration between different groups of people, different industrial sectors has been expedited in large part because of what's going on recently. Yep. Right. Fantastic. 
Did you have any uh, advice uh, for our listeners out there or any thoughts that you'd like to leave them with? Um, change is happening all the time. Our job is to notice useful change. I think that's what I've been talking about. Change is happening all the time. Our job is to notice useful change and do something with it. Um, Fantastic, uh, Alan. We get we get um, immobilized sometimes by dramatic change such as has happening just now. Uh, instead of rushing around trying to fix things, slow down uh, to speed things up by asking yourself questions about what have we got that's already working? What will we be doing with that in the future? What would that look like for our clients, etc.? Um, and I think in the B2B business particularly, uh, there's going to be a lot of change. You know, we've supply chain management, et cetera, et cetera. Where do we sit in that um, environment? Uh, what's our role in that? And how can we work better with our clients, our suppliers, et cetera, et cetera, to leverage quality outcomes that we didn't think much about in the past? Fantastic. And slowing down to speed things up. That's a, yeah. that's a really good one. Yeah. Um, thanks so much for coming on here and sharing, Alan. So what would be the best way for people to connect with you? Ah, <laughs> um, I have a, a, a commodity website called Landing Page, Alan, A-L-A-N-K-K-A-Y, so Alan K, uh, um, dot C-A, and that'll take you to some of my stuff. Uh, or my website, which, to be honest, I haven't bothered looking at it for quite a long time. Mm. Uh, my company's called the Glasgow Group. Um, and I registered that one. Of course, there were a million Glasgow groups around. So I shortened it to glasgrp.com. That's Got it. it. Got it. Alan, thank you so much for your time. This has been a great session. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Christian. There's some great questions in there. <laughs> All right. Well, take care, be safe, and talk soon. Thank you. Okay, bye for now. Bye-bye. If you have any ideas for possible episode topics that we should cover on the show, or you know someone who would like to be interviewed, make sure to connect with me via email at contact at einblick.co. That's Einblick, E-I-N-B-L-I-C-K. Thanks so much for listening to episode one of B2B Marketers on a Mission. Make sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Take care, stay safe, stay healthy, and until next time.